before we chant this, I want to talk about this a little bit. Uh, some of you are Zen practitioners, so practicing in the Mahayana tradition. And so it's possible that you study sutras a lot. But in the tantric tradition, we study mostly tantric literature. And so that you can go a long time if you're not a monastic, maybe not read any sutras at all. So if you could bear with me, if you are a Mahayana student, I would like to give a small teaching on sutras for the benefit of the people who are uh, Tibetan Vajrayana students here. Later, I will talk to you about a practitioner named Machik Labdran, who was a young, unwed mother of several children, occasionally houseless, and uh, she became the progenitor of one of the most beloved practice lineages in Tibetan Buddhism called Mahamudra Chu. Chu means to cut or to sever or to release. And it's said that when she was quite young, she attained enlightenment reading the Prajna Paramita Sutra. So when I read things like that, I think, oh, I should read that. <laughs> <laughs> and even more so, I thought, oh, you should read it. <laughs> because the entire collection is more than 20,000 pages. And what I could never find in the literature is what exactly was she reading <laughs> when she became enlightened. So first of all, sutra, and again, if you've been studying sutras for a long time, sorry to be so simple about this, but sutra uh, is the body of literature that is said to be the direct speech of the Buddha. And if I'm recalling correctly, the, the original texts were written on palm leaves, right, by hand. Can you imagine? 21,000 pages by hand. And so those leaves were held together. Think of a stack of palm leaves, not unlike the texts we use in the Tibetan tradition today. They can be thick like this, and they're long and skinny. So if you ever drop one, you hope that you dropped one that has page numbers on it. But the sutras were held together with thread. So think of the word suture to stitch together. And it's also a beautiful reminder that through this kind of learning, the wisdom of reading and study, that Dharma plants its seeds in us and begins to work in us just by the simple reading. In fact, when I lived in Nepal, the lamas used to say, you know, we're going to be reading, let's say, Prajnaparamita Sutra. Come over to our house. And I'd say, okay, I'll read it. And they'd say, no, you don't have to. We're going to read it for you. As though just by filling the air with the words of the Buddha, somehow my heart, my mind would be changed. And I appreciated that so much. And it was such a beautiful act of generosity. Just, no, come have tea. You just sit here. You can relax. One lama said to me once, even you sleep, it's no problem. It just, we'll read, that's our job, that's our offering, that's why we're here. I think it's good to read. There is a version inside that body of literature, and I just learned this recently. 
there's one sutra. So sutras kind of always follow a, a little format, and they say something like this. One day the Buddha was in Klatskanai, and there were a lot of people from Portland and other places around. And Elizabeth asked a question, oh, Lord Buddha, something, something. And the Buddha said, and then answers the question, and then it says something like, all of the people and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas rejoiced. And that's the end of the sutra. So this one, the very short one, says, um, so remember the, the full body of literature is 21,000 pages. This little subset of that says, one day, I forget where they were, and someone asked the question, and the Buddha said, ah. And the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas rejoiced. So if you're a busy person, you could also seek out that sutra from the Prajnaparamita, <laughs> and you could recite that sutra many times a day, like a good Dharma student. Ah. So the gist of this sutra, and not to make light of it, this is probably the pinnacle of sutras, of the expression of emptiness. So in no way am I making light of this, but it feels to me when I read it, that someone must have asked the question, what is unchanging and permanent? What can we cling to? And the Buddha said in the way of speaking at the time, well, not this, and not this, and not this, and this, and this, or this, and not this, and not this, and not this, and not this. So I used to play a recitation of this sutra for my kids just while we were, you know, cooking breakfast and things. And my firstborn used to call it the no-no sutra. <laughs> and so you'll see when you read this sutra, uh, two things. The first time I read it, the first time I read it was here at Great Vow in recitation, just like we will now. And the first thing that I noticed was that there's a little piece at the beginning that made total sense. Uh, Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva, who we call Chenrezig in the Tibet tradition, when deeply practicing prajnaparamita, so prajna means wisdom, paramita means perfection, clearly saw that all five aggregates are empty and thus relieved all suffering. So just seeing relieved all suffering. And then it starts the part of the sutra, and I had no idea what it meant. Form does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form. Form itself is emptiness, on and on and on. And then at the end, therefore, we proclaim the Prajnaparamita mantra, the mantra that says, and I knew the mantra, we use a lot of mantras in the Tibetan tradition, gati gati para gati para sam gati bodhisvaha. But the rest in the middle made no sense the first time I read it. So if you have that experience, don't be distressed. The beautiful thing about a sutra, and those of you who chant sutras daily as part of your practice I'm sure know this, all the things in this chant book, in fact, is we chant it really quickly and with the energy, the vibe, you know, of the drum and the, what's that called? Mukugyo, is that right? Mokugyo? Makugyo? Mo, Mokugyo. Now we know, is it Japanese? Yeah, so now we know that. It carries you along too fast to conceptualize as you're reading. 
so you can't think about it. Well, you can kind of think about it. I always try to think about it, but it doesn't really work. And yet, if you just relax and read the sutra, no worries. One day you will be reading along and suddenly, oh, you will understand something. Clearly, you will understand. I can remember reading like two arrows meeting in midair, and I had just a a little shock of energy in my system, and suddenly something just fell into place. And so if you are a, a Vajrayana student and you have not read sutras, then I sent you by email, which is a wonderful way to deliver sutras, uh, I sent you the chant book and you can read this and begin to read and don't worry. If you understand or not, the sutras will reveal themselves. So beautiful. One of the things that I want to point out is that part of the thing I love about the Heart of uh, Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra is that it references, I feel when I read it, not only wisdom, emptiness, but also compassion. And in the Tibetan tradition we say, if the practice, if our practice leans too far into wisdom, we can become heart-hearted, clear, precise of mind, but the heart can harden. If it leans too far in the direction of compassion, then we can become kind of sentimental and overwhelmed by the suffering of the world. And so when we put the realization of emptiness, the dawning realization of emptiness, together with compassion, it's like the wings of a bird and the practice is balanced and the realization can rise up like the sky.